All right. So I had a, a particular, particularly difficult time with this chapter, and I'm not quite sure why. And so any input from you guys would be fine. Um, so we've been <coughs> going through Corinthians, and the point of Corinthians is the pride of the Corinthian church. And the pride of the Corinthian church came out with their kind of ignoring some of the truths of God. They were divided. I am of Paul. I am of Apostle. Um, and I, I want to review a little bit with verses uh, 18 through 23 of chapter 3 that built into chapter 4. And starting in chapter 3, verse 18, it says, Let no one deceive himself. If any among you seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their own craftiness. Um, and again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise. Therefore, let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come. All are yours and you are Christ's and Christ is God's. So the warning is there is that they kind of became puffed up and they became wise in their own thoughts and their own teachings. And, they, and it's very prevalent today with the denominations and the books that are written and the ministries that, that become a little uh, prideful. Uh, look at verse 1 of chapter 4. It says, let man consider us as servants. So Paul says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to, to consider yourself a servant and not someone to be lifted up. Verse 4 says, I know of nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this, but he who judges me is the Lord. So Paul says, I'm not looking for any man's approval. Uh, verse 6, the last part of verse 6, it says that none of you may be puffed up on behalf of one against the other. And verse 7, we ended last week, for who makes you differ from one another? And what do you have that you did not receive? If you did indeed receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? So that boasting there is in that, that we can do anything without receiving it from God. And this is where their mistake was. They had become so puffed up and boastful that they were taking credit for things only God can do. If you really think about it, we can't even breathe without God. Our lungs were created by God. Uh, uh, Larry, by the way, um, I read that um, writings of Spurgeon, and it, it was it's he really nails that in this idea that God is the author and He is the creator and He is the planner, and there's nothing that we can do uh, to stop God's sovereignty. You know, He is so uh, He made us, created us, put the sun in the right place, put the earth in the right place, tilted it in the right place, created the waters. So that we have the water cycle and we have the the breath and I was if you ever look at this there's a really interesting thing I don't know if, if you could find it but it, it shows our our veins and our veins if you look at them really closely they look like an out a tree and you put it next to an outline of a tree and you realize that the trees grow because of what we exhale 
and what the trees produce we inhale and it has the same look on the and how it works is so beautifully lined together um, that we'd be fools to take credit for it and we'd be fools to think that 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 we can ruin what God has made you know we want to take care of it for sure so that brings us to verse 8 which is a verse I really struggled with and it says you are already full exclamation point you are already rich you have reigned as kings without us and indeed I could wish you did reign that we also might reign with you and so as Paul is speaking one of the problems I have with this verse is most theologians or writers who claim to be theologians uh, deem this verse to be a sarcastic speaking of Paul and that bugs me a little bit because I don't know that how I don't I can't determine from reading something unless God says Paul said in sarcasm but it, it does make sense in the fact that you are already full uh, and, and there's an exclamation point it would help me more if it was a question mark like he was questioning them but the last part of the verse is the one that kind of brings it together and he says indeed I could wish you did reign so in other words if he says I wish you did reign what does that mean do they reign or not they don't so why does he say you're already full you're already rich you have reigned as kings without us because they think they have and so the rest of the chapter kind of fits into that but I didn't really have a solid foundation for me that that's exactly what that meant because Paul doesn't say you think you are full for example let me compare it to Revelation 3.17 Revelation 3.17 is God speaking to the church at Laodicea the lukewarm church and he says to them through John for you say I am rich, I have prospered, I have need of nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. So in that, it's pretty clear that they think they're rich. And if you look at the history of the Laodicean church, they were very wealthy, and they made their wealth in two ways. Uh, the history of the, Laodice of the Laodicean area is they were known for their beautiful clothing. It's kind of like they were the, the New York City in which they would have fashion week and everybody goes and dresses up in these things you would never wear in a million years, but they all think it's somehow beautiful. Um, and they were known for that, and the clothes were tremendously expensive. Um, and so they made a lot of money. The other thing is, is they had this mud that was near the shores where it was, and it was very famous for uh, caring for your eyes. It was an eye salve that was very uh, well known in the region. So when God says to them that you say, uh, I am rich, I have prospered, I need of nothing, not realizing you were wretched, pitiable, poor, blind and naked, they would say, what, we're not blind and naked. We have the best clothes around. So, we're going to walk through this chapter as if Paul is addressing the Corinthian church in that similar way. You think you're full. You think you're already rich. And that's why I reviewed 
because we can very confidently say they had an issue with pride. And so we're going to move through the rest of this chapter as an issue with pride. Uh, and he says, I, I wish you did reign, that me also might reign with you. But the truth is, they're not. And this is very similar to Larry's Sunday School class today and, and religious people that think they've got it made. They think they have this special relationship with God that nobody else has, or they think they've made it. And many times Jesus says, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. Verse 9. For I think that God has displayed us, the apostles, last, as men condemned to death. For we have been made a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake. But you are wise in Christ? We are weak, but you are strong? You are distinguished, but we are dishonored? So again, Paul's apostolic authority is being challenged to the Corinthian church. And the Corinthian church has begun to think that because of their riches, their wealth, their knowledge, they have a lot of the Greek knowledge, that, that they're they've made it and Paul is kind of challenging and said you think you've reached this pinnacle that the apostles have not reached look at what the apostles who we know they are the voice of God at this time in history and he says compare yourself to the apostles he says for we are last well the Bible talks about those who are last. What does he say about them? They will be first. And so this earth is not where our kingdom is. And man, we, there are some preachers who have built a kingdom on this earth with their riches and their wealth on the backs of poor, gullible people. And he says, you don't look at the ones who really walk with God. He says, verse 9, God has displayed us. The apostles last. We're last. We are men condemned to death. And if you've ever read any history of the apostles, almost all of them died horrific martyr deaths. We have been made a spectacle. Now that word spectacle, it's a really interesting Greek word, which is uh, theatra, where we get the word theater from. And this goes all the way back to um, the Colosseum and the Christians thrown to the lions. They made it a theater to torture and persecute Christians. It was part of their entertainment. And he's trying to tell them that the, the true kingdom of God on earth, we put ourselves last. Esteem others higher than yourselves. We are fools for Christ. And then he starts doing that kind of sarcastic comparison again. So we're apostles, we're fools, but you're wise. We deem ourselves weak, but you're strong. You are distinguished, but we're dishonored. So where's the right place? Who's right with God? The weak and dishonored? The spectacles of the world? 
the last, the drudges of society, they are actually the ones who are in the will of God. And it wouldn't be like that today. You wouldn't have people comparing their wealth of a church and their giant numbers and, and buildings to saying, and, and there are cults out there. I'm not talking about different denominations. I'm talking about Mormonism, which is an, an absolute cult. But man, are they wealthy. They have so much wealth and lands and other things. And so the outside world might look at that and look at success over here and not quite over here. So verse 11, um, he says, To the present hour we both hunger and thirst, and we are poorly clothed and beaten and homeless, and we labor working with our hands. Being reviled, we bless. Being persecuted, we endure. Being defamed, we entreat. That is, the word entreat means to be kind. We have been made as the filth of the world, the off-scouring of all things until now. So he says, you know, the true Christian walk is a walk of sacrifice. It's a walk of, of persecution. But when they persecute us, we bless. When we are being reviled, we, we endure. And then he says in the last, the off-scouring of all things. Now, that, that word off-scouring describes an, uh, um, a former activity in which a, a, a city or a town would have a plague or they would have a famine. And so they would do is they would take some of the poorer people in the, uh, the city who had either a disease or they were weak, and they would actually throw them into the sea. They would have a ceremony, and it was called off-scouring. And they would take these weak and throw them into the sea, thinking their gods would then forgive them, that it must be the low of the low causing this famine, the low of the low causing. And we see this in our own nation. It, it's the pride and arrogance of our politicians who have, they live so far outside of reality. They are so wealthy and so rich and, and they really believe that they have the only wisdom and you see when you compare to the scriptures how foolish some of these things are. Some of the things that are going on. And so, but they would look at getting rid of religion as an off-scouring. If we can get these holier-than-thou moral people out, then we can just live any way we want. Because they're the ones that are, and, and really the bottom line is, they know that we know. They know it. And they got to get our votes out and out the way, and they got to get our truth out of the way. Well, that's what off-scouring is. What Paul is meaning by this is the world sees them as the lowest of the low. And there's verses in the Bible about, you know, love not the world nor the things in the world. There's also verses, even though the Bible says, if at all possible, get along with all men, the Bible says to marvel not that the world hates you. If the world is praising your preaching, you're not preaching, right? The world will reject it. So, but if, go ahead, Brian. I love that. Um, 
Oh, <laughs> but he took that stand. I remember uh, Oprah Winfrey went to a church one time, and big giant church, one of the biggest churches in the country. And her response, and her they asked her about it, and she said it was the, this was the kind of church I'm looking for. It's, it's the only church I've ever been to where I didn't feel guilty when the man was talking. Yeah, it is. And 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 the word of God convicts. You know we love Jesus and we're trying our hardest but we study the word it brings it brings encouragement and it brings conviction and boy that's thank you Brian for sharing that um, the truth is Paul sacrificed his life so that others could live the abundant life that's what he is saying that the, the mark of Christianity is not this pride, arrogant, high living. It is giving all that up. And he says it, turn uh, to Philippians chapter 1. It's just a couple of books over. And Paul describes it really perfectly in verse 21 of Philippians 1. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. If I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what shall I choose? I cannot tell, for I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. You ever had a day where you just wanted to be with Christ? Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. Paul says, I'd be, I'd be thrilled to go be with Jesus. But there's a need here. So how do we know that God still needs us on this earth? What's that, Don? Because you're not dead. And, and God's got a, it's appointed and a man wants to die. And, and you know, some of us in this room, I won't say us, but some of among us have come pretty close. And God has, you know, I it wasn't that long ago where, you know, we were sitting around the table with Norma and Liz, and they were hoping just to get to Michigan in time to say goodbye to their brother. And, you know, now he's driving four-wheelers around his house, and it's he was gone. And, and God went, it wasn't God's timing. So he says, look, I'm hard-pressed. I would love, nevertheless, verse 24, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And being confident of this, verse 25, I know that I shall remain and continue with you for your progress and all of you for your progress and joy of faith, that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. And I think Larry mentioned in Sunday school, that a lot of the, some of the modern music and Christian music, it's a little bit woe is me and my life and how to build it, where Christianity is a self-sacrificing. You are born again, your sins are forgiven, they're washed away, and we ought to spend our time living for others. It's, it's the way it was designed. But the Philippians, they were, or the Corinthians, they were just living for their own, 
material. We're going to see as we go that there was materialistic problems, they had sexual problems, and they had pride and division problems. Uh, 2 Timothy <coughs> 2.10, Paul says this to Timothy, Therefore I endure all things for the elect, that they may obtain the salvation for which in Christ Jesus, which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. 2 Timothy 2.11, This is a faithful saying, For if we died with him, we shall live with him. If we endured, we will reign with him. If we deny him, he denies us. We just live for God now. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. Present your body as a living sacrifice. This is what Paul is trying to describe to the, to the Corinthians, that, that you think you've obtained this thing, but we're not supposed to attain it yet. That's heaven. So we endure. So now, let's go back to Corinthians. And I really love verse 14. It's probably my, famous, my favorite verse of this chapter tonight. He says, I don't write these things to you to shame you. But as my beloved children, I warn you. So there we do get a little bit more of a evidence of, of how he's speaking to them. He is speaking harsh. He doesn't want to speak harsh to them. And he says, look at, I don't write these things to shame you. And so that maybe he was, we can take from that. He was kind of being a little sarcastic, a little harsh on them. But I warn you, and that's a hard thing, even for us to talk to our own children or grandchildren or brothers or, or siblings, in which we're trying to warn them, but they take it as being harsh and judgmental, and we're not doing it. We love them. Look what he says. Verse 15 is really good, too. For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ... Yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have been gotten you through the gospel. In other words, you might have 10,000 people teaching you. But no one loves you the way I love you. Paul came to Corinthian, to Corinth and there was no gospel. And he did what God had called him to do. And because of that, a church grew in this town of believers. He went on to another town, and the wolf came in. And the wolf got into this church and turned the people against God and against him and towards some false teachings that were way off base. And he says, look, they don't love you. They want something from you. I love you. So I don't care if 10,000 instructors come to you telling you that I'm wrong. No one loves you the way I love you. You feel that way, don't you, with some of your family members? He was concerned for the Corinthians as a father who cares for his own children. This is what we have with the word of God. It's, it's God's kind of love letter to us, you know. And, and Paul's trying to explain to them, I'm not gaining anything from this. I'm, I'm, I've become the last. I've become the least. I've become the persecuted. I've become the one that they, they want to uh, scourge and scour and throw into the sea and make a spectacle of me. Why do you think I'm doing this? Do you think the gospel means nothing to me? Do you think I'm trying to... It, 
It didn't benefit Paul at all. Verse 16, therefore, I urge you, imitate me. Now you read that and you say, well, that's kind of a bold thing to say, kind of a prideful thing to say. But what does he want them to imitate? Jesus. Want this mind to be necessary in Christ Jesus. And he wants them to imitate his humility. Look at, you are standing in this high tower. You think you've already made it. No, you want to imitate Christ-like humility. Who came down from heaven, was thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and came down from heaven and, and died on the cross for us. That, I love that song that the kids sang tonight. He came from heaven to earth. To, the whole gospel's in that song. And they, I don't know. We have a small group. And it, it, it I, I tell you, I had, a, I had a little rough patch this week. And this is a sin I'm going to confess to you publicly. But I, I talk with Garrett weekly. He's been pastor in this church for now about six weeks and uh, he's nervous and so they're live streaming their services now so I thought oh I'm, I'm gonna encourage them I'm gonna watch the live stream of the the church service just beautiful good sermon but then they had a little video about their Awana club and I just oh they got an old their Awana club just started out and I clicked on it man they had about 50 kids just screaming and jumping and dancing and I just think what are we doing wrong and but then tonight when you see they know the movements of the song and you see little Oliver and Philip there and you know that Willie was down there at one time well what we're doing is so important you know and, and with Micah and Abby and Dale and going through Sparky's and they know the songs already and maybe you got you only had one tonight but oh man Jojo, there's not a cuter kid in the world, you know, that loves the Lord. And so we just got what Larry gave me a little paper by Spurgeon today. He's he's the one sending the kids. Go ahead, Carol. That's what it is. Because we've been here long enough to see some of these adults, Brian, that were here in third grade and fourth grade. And so so the sin for me was, was not envy, but just doubt. That we were just not. But numbers don't matter. I say that all the time. But then I get depressed because the numbers are down. So just the flesh and the spirit wrestling with each other. Um, but that's what Paul is saying. He's saying... Imitate the humility and sacrifice that the apostles are making. Um, if you remember, Agrippa came to Paul and said, you almost persuaded me to be a Christian. And Paul's answer to him was, um, 
I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me might become both almost and altogether such as I am, except for these chains. He says, what I want you to, I, I wish you all knew how many times I, I don't, I, when I've gotten in debate with somebody about God and my brother or whoever it might be, and I think, boy, if you just knew Jesus the way I know Jesus, you would not for a second debate me. And you can't transfer that faith. You can't transfer that, you know. And, and what happened to, to me when I became a Christian, it's, it's unshakable. But Paul says, I wish to God that all of you were just like me and saw that light that I saw that day and heard that voice that I heard that day. Verse 17 of 1 Corinthians 4. For this reason I sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, who will remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach everywhere in every church. So he leaves Timothy to encourage them. And so Paul, we're going to see this throughout the book of Corinthians. He'll get harsh like a good father does, and then he'll be soft-hearted. Now, I'm going to leave Timothy with you to remind you. Um, he tells Timothy in T 2 Timothy 4.12, you remember that? Let no man despise your youth, but be an example in word, conduct, love, spirit, faith, and purity. So, boy, we part of being in, in children's ministry is the responsibility to be an example to these kids. You know, and, and Dale was He's got this strange little thing. He says, there he is, the greatest pastor that's ever lived. And he says that to me every time he sees me. And it's like, man, that's, that's a, you got to remember these kids are watching you and, and you want to be an example in those areas to the best that you can. Um, and that's what Paul says. And his example is not the rich and famous and the high. It is, if I'm persecuted, I bless. If I'm, if I'm, Reviled, I am gracious. Verse 18, he returns to the subject of this chapter. Now some are puffed up. So this is the problem. They are puffed up. As though I were not coming to you. So the boss is away. <laughs> you know, the, the teacher's out of the room. Paul's the teacher. Paul is their father in, in the Lord, so to speak, on earth. He's the one that, and he says, some of you, you're, you're getting pretty out there and, and you are saying things about me that aren't true, thinking I'm not going to come back. But I will come to you shortly if the Lord wills. And I will know not the word of those who are puffed up, but power. And I just want you to know when I come, I'm not paying any attention to the words of, of, of these puffed up people. I wrote a note to myself. Because if you'll notice, because uh, verse 20 is, could be confusing. It says, the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. It's a really interesting verse because the kingdom of God is founded on the word. But you'll notice the word there is not capitalized. John 1.1, 1, 1, it says, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. But that word is a deity word. 
the Bible says the word of God is quick and powerful. So there is power in the word. So I wrote a note to myself in my notes to trust the word with a capital and not the word with a little letter. And uh, we've been praying for uh, Linda's son. And he's, he's got some doctrinal things that are confusing him because he's listening to little words from men who don't know the word. And that's what the Bereans did. They would take the word of Paul, compare it to the word, and if the word of Paul matched the word of God, then the word of Paul was accepted. Go ahead. In my translation, it changes the word to Paul. Oh, really? Can you read it? Verse verse 20. That's pretty good. I like that. And that's what these puffed up men do is they just talk. They just talk. I was talking to Larry about uh, a friend of his went to a men's retreat, um, a local men's retreat, and the whole thing was the, the person who organized the retreat had just written a book, and the whole thing was the promotion of the book, and every man should buy this book and read this book. And he, he left feeling deceived duped is that accurate larry you know it's just kind of the word so we end with this and this one will help us what do you want shall i come with a rod or in love and a spirit of gentleness you know i'm coming because the kingdom of god is not in talk in this word in these silly things and you need to get this right now because if the Lord wills, I'm coming. And I can come with a rod, or I can come in the spirit of gentleness. And what did this remind us of? The Lord's coming back. And when the Lord comes back, it's a bittersweet return. It is great for us, but it will not be great for those that have rejected him. And that's a good verse that you could use, I think, in a witness. Do you want the Lord to come in a spirit of gentleness to receive you into himself? Or do you want him to come and separate you from the, the tares and the wheat? So it's a good chapter. Go ahead. Absolutely. So you don't need to learn how to be eloquent in your speech, but just know the word, know the scripture. It's so true. And, and, and that idea of being puffed up, and that, that's the key word in these, because um, when, when you come across anyone who, who believes that they have some connection to God that no one else has, or they get words from God that are outside the scriptures or they're constantly criticizing it is that's puffed up and they're uh, Bible says a fool is known by as many words and so I'll leave you with this 
Trust the word, big W, and not the words, little w. And that is, I'm talking to the choir here for sure. Everyone here has shown that. That's why you're here on a Sunday night, because you can't get enough of the word. And so, Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. And Father, it, it is something that I, I take to heart, and, and I, I think we got the, the, the crux of this chapter Lord, even though I, 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 95% sure we're on the right track with it, Lord, but I, I hate even that, that chance that we might have it a, a little off kilter, and I didn't quite get that verse, and I struggled with it a little bit, but Lord, um, the rest of them bring it to light. Uh, uh, Father, so we just thank you for this lesson of humility. Lord, you tell us in Philippians 2 to be like Christ. And Christ simply humbled themselves and became obedient to the cross, even unto death. And because of that, you gave him a name that was highly exalted above every name. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And he will come in, in a place of gentleness for his children or uh, a God of, uh, with the rod of, of judgment for those who have rejected him. So, Lord, until that day, let us teach these children. Let us send out these shoe boxes. Let us put the gospel track in these bags on Nineveh and let us pray that the gospel will, will take root in the lives of the people in our community in Jesus' name.